Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified. We have a great show, as always, but this one is kind of cool because this is someone that I have seen at CEO Space and have been looking forward to having on the show for quite some time. Her name is Erin Saxton, and she continues to develop her firm, Eleven Communications, in response to an industry need for a new kind of agency. Saxton is best known for her connections and expertise in taking an idea and joining that with an instrumental plan and team to engage, connect, and drive it all forward. Her 11 Communications continues her track record of successfully having a campaign hit the mark and stay there. A multi-Emmy-nominated TV producer, Ms. Saxon has long been on the receiving end of PR pitches, having worked on shows that include The View, Barbara Walters Specials, and Good Morning America. This extensive experience gave her a niche for consulting and executing effect PR and marketing campaigns. Upon The View, Saxton launched her own agency, aptly named The ID Network, and ran that successfully for 12 years. So, Erin, welcome to Amplified. We're so excited to amplify you. (laughs) Well, thank you. I love being amplified. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Well, we were talking before the show about the benefits of an evergreen program versus a non-evergreen program, and that got me thinking about... This will be our first evergreen program. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, So I just recently saw you at CEO Space. And tell me about your history with CEO Space. Well, gosh, I I was in the class of uh, July of 2009. And I was going in as uh, I was representing Lisa Nichols at the time, um, best-selling author. And she was in New Jersey, and she said, you know, you got to meet this guy, Bernie Dorman. you got to, you just got to meet him. So I thought, okay. So I went to whatever they, they do, those pre, you know, mini courses and mini meetings and things like that in all the cities. And Bernie's like, who are you? <laughs> and long story short, two hours later, we, we chatted, and he said, you, you, have to, you have to come here. And I said, well, I don't want to just be faculty. I want to go through the whole program so I can identify what it, you know, what this is. And so I brought my whole staff and I, and, and we went through the week and it was great. And, um, but what, what was interesting is in the middle of it, Bernie made an announcement and he started talking about my, me and my background. And he said, so when you sit at Aaron Saxton's table, this is what she'll teach you. And I thought, Aaron Saxton's table, like, what do you, I don't even know what he was talking about. So I immediately became faculty before I graduated. So I was doing this dual kind of, I was learning to be a graduate, but then still doing meal tables at the same time. So I, I had a very interesting, unique entry point into CEO space, but I love it. And I try to get back as much as I can to give back. And Bernie, Bernie Dorman has that insight and brilliance to know when he's talking to someone that is going to be a great partner and a great uh, alliance uh, relationship. I think he does it better than almost anybody. Would you agree? I agree. He, it's, he's um, very intuitive with it um, in that old soul kind of way. And um, sometimes he sees things in people that I think 
I, you know, I'm a pretty good read, but Bernie takes it to another stratosphere. And um, he sees brilliance in even like a little tiny nugget of uh, somebody's personality and or in their idea. And so, yeah, it's uh, if Bernie doesn't think it's a good idea, I'm not sure <laughs> it'll fly. <laughs> well, I think he is the the ultimate uh, quote tester for Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you can't, because he takes the can to a level that if you actually went for it, you'd be pleasantly surprised that you're living a life that you love. Absolutely. But most people love to um, say one thing and then not do anything, I think. Right. Unfortunately. Right. And I don't, I don't love that about us as a human race. But I think the, it's safe to say, oh, I want to do this or I'm going to do this. But to live it in the present moment and, not, and make it your reality is very scary. And um, I've certainly done it a few times. And there's a, a lot of times that it's just way easier to talk about doing something rather than truly doing it. So, um, yeah, I mean, we all have to kind of pick what things we need to do and make it stick, and so that's where we'll find success, I think. Well, uh, we won't talk about CO space for the entire program, but uh, I, I do like to acknowledge the place and the person who actually put uh, my guest myself together. So thank you, Bernie, and thank you, CO Space. And CO Space is a great place where you are filtering the human population as well as the entrepreneurial spirit to get them in one space where they get to have a collective one week of really focusing on their dreams, their implementation of their dreams, how their dreams can be funded, and how they can work together to actually have success. So um, my hat's off to Bernie and all the people, faculty members like yourself, Aaron, for making people's oh, dreams you. become more reality. Yeah, it's great. If anybody's considering... Um, going to it, please come and just give us a try. You won't be disappointed, I promise. And there's there's rumor that the next one is in May and that you may be there. So if you ever go to cospaceinternational.com, you can look up the conference dates and uh, pick a date that works for you. So let's uh, backtrack a little bit. I heard that rumor also. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's backtrack a little bit, Aaron. I, I typically like to start the show off with getting the audience to know who you are, your story. So if you uh, would, I guess, tell two parts. One part is what in your childhood caused you to be who you are today? And then just generally speaking, what is what is your story? I was born on a dark and stormy night. No, I, oh um, I, I'm kidding. I was born in the morning and I'm pretty sure it was sunny. Though February. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've always been creative. And I used to want to be a spokesperson on The Price is Right. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And um, some girls wanted to be doctors or Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and, you know, and teachers. I really thought my end-all be-all was being one of Barker's beauties on The Price is Right. No kidding. I'm not even kidding. And so I used to walk around modeling the... You know how they lightly take their fingertips and go across the washer and dryer, stackable, you know. Hey, and it's an art. They used to, they used to wipe, like, wand their arms with the cars. And so I used to practice that. And I thought, I guess I finally got to 20. And I thought, no, I'm kidding. I, I, I finally got to around middle school. And I realized that that's not exactly going to happen for a few reasons. One, those Outfits started getting skinnier, and I started really showing, like, my German Czechoslovakian bone structure. And while I'm not heavy, I'm definitely not wearing a slinky 
glittery outfit, you know, with like an open back and 18 inch heels. So I just thought, well, I might have to do something else. So I naturally went to wanting to be a newscaster. And I used to read the prompter of the, you know, the cable access. It was a scroll, you know, so-and-so VFW, pancake dinner, pancake breakfast, you know, and, you know, the ambulance is doing a blood drive and they'd have all those placards that, and so I would pretend that that was my monitor. And so I'd get really good at reading the prompter and the scripts. And then one woman that I just thought was so cool, she was, maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school, I mean, I'm sorry, in college, and she said, you know, I really want to go into speech communications. Well, I just thought, well, so so I have to do that too. <laughs> then I did hmm. more research and I realized I really want to be a TV producer. And I landed my first internship with Good Morning America, and it was back in the day with uh, Joan London and Charlie Gibson. Wow. And I was, there was this surreal moment where... In my head, I still thought I wanted to be a newscaster. And I was in the studio, and Joan London and Charlie looked at us. There was three of us. And they said, oh, my gosh, our interns are so awesome. Come here, guys. And they started talking to us. And I thought, I'm crazy to want to go to somewhere, small state, to do a newscast where no one would see me, where I'm standing already, where most of those newscasters would end up. Right. And that was at 20 years old. And I thought, I'm not leaving New York. Like, duh. So I live right here, right outside of New York City. I live in um, Bergen County, New Jersey. And I thought, I would be nuts to go chase ambulances or bank fires or whatever to report on that when I'm already here, where this is the end of the journey, like, the epicenter. So I stayed and I just worked my way up the, the ladder, so to speak. And, and how did that look? What was the next step from your internship? Well, it, it started with Good Morning America. And then the day after I graduated, they called me and they hired me as a permanent freelancer, which means there was, let's say, six or seven departments. And so each of them during that summer after graduation Everybody needed to take vacation, so I was their permanent temp, and I just floated, and it lasted for months and months and months. I heard through the water cooler chat that Barbara Walters was, um, had an opening for an entry-level position in her private production company, which is called Barwall, so Barbara Walters Barwall Productions, and I went, oh, okay, I'm going to go get that job. So I have this thing where if I really, really want something, I'll go for it and I'll get it if I really, really want it. And I, it has to stay in integrity. Like I can't do anything malicious or jerky to get it. But if I have that true gut feeling like I can, I can go do that, then I'll go do it. And it hasn't failed me yet. Interesting, right? It's, it's a little odd. But it's like this manifestation power of manifestation that I have, be it money or, you know, uh, health or, I, I don't know, networking with somebody, I just kind of, if I get that gut feeling, and but the gut feeling has to come before the intention. You know, I just have to say like, wow, I think I could be a senator of New Jersey. And then I go do it. And that's, that's a crazy thought. So I haven't done that yet because I'm not having the gut feeling. But it's, I don't know. But I have that much confidence in myself when it comes to work 
that I can then make that happen. It's interesting. And and it also is a testament to mindset and manifestation. Because you're, you're, you're just believing in yourself to cause it. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've just kind of worked up through the ranks very fast. I mean, I'm 48 now, so I wouldn't say anything else about it is fast. But at that time, I was really in the fast lane and still being a nice person <laughs> at ABC. And so I worked at Good Morning America. Then I did get the job with Barbara. And then I traveled all over the country with Barbara for those primetime celebrity specials she used to do. Mm-hmm. That was cool. So I was in all these celebrities' houses, and that's fun. I'm not really a celebrity, like, you know, star-aged, crazy person, which is perfect for that job because you don't want to be, like, with a celebrity stalker <laughs> while they're there all day right. taping in your house and doing interviews and stuff. So. I, I was a good fit for that, I guess. We all were. There was only eight of us on that team with Barbara. Um, so she and I got to know each other very, very well, and I was there for many years. I then left and worked, go, went to work for Rosie O'Donnell at her show. And then mm-hmm. after that was Dow Jones had a TV station for about a year. I did that. And then when that, they announced the day that that was going to get canceled, and then Bill Getty and Barbara Walters called me and said, we're starting this show called The View. We think that's the title we're going with. But we, right now it's called The View. We have four women plus Barbara every once in a while, and they're all going to debate their opinions, and we need you to, like, do you want to come back? Like, are you, can you launch this show with us? And, and, you know, so I was one of the original producers that launched that show, along with a lot of other wonderful people as well. Well, let's talk about some of the, uh, I guess, the nuances or what made Barbara so amazing. What, what do you think that was? She's a pioneer, and she had to go against the grain with a lot. I mean, in this whole day and age where Hollywood and the industry titans are kind of having a light shed upon them of their naughty behavior or just insulting behavior or, you know, right down to the deplorable behavior. But Barbara, I mean, if you... Google the types of indiscretions and things that were said to Barbara, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, the things that she said and just downright all boys club. So she persevered and she then did what she does best. And she asked those really tough questions, but in a way that, you know, she, she's, unco- she's comfortable being uncomfortable and she's mm-hmm. always asking to propel the conversation forward in a good way. She doesn't really ever go out with a question that is intentionally supposed to trip somebody up. She's not that investigative reporter type journalist, at least not when I was with her. And she's not there to get them in trouble. And she's absolutely not there to make them cry. And she's absolutely not there to get them to tell you what kind of tree they would be like all of that is just a falsehood she doesn't like any of that you know um she just was there to really have the viewers get to know the people she was interviewing and sometimes you have to ask those tough questions and she does and she you know she was really good at that i learned a lot from her can you give a couple of instances that you were really proud of her and that she asked some questions that you were like wow that is genius Oh, I just, I mean, 
she was with Castro in the boat on the Bay of Pigs, right? Wasn't she? Right. <laughs> she was, yeah. She was uh, Ross Perot. Well, you were on the same boat. Nixon. I'm not saying I was with her, but, you know, some, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, that would be amazing. But, you know, like, she, with Chris Reeve back in the day, we were all in Kessler with him, and she would say, like, how does this feel, and what happened? And, you know, I she would get there. She wasn't uncomfortable with it. And, you know, if somebody had a history of um, abuse or illness, she would ask, but she'd ask in a really in kind way, but strong enough where the person couldn't not answer. And I think she brought that to the table with every interview she, she did. So. And the interviews I that just, you did witness... Great. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the interviews that you did witness, what, what was one of the favorites? Oh, well, I just remember, I mean, Chris Reeve was amazing. A lot of times it was just he and I in the room talking prior to that. George Clooney was amazing. Um, gosh, I, I, I'm thinking of, there's been hundreds and hundreds I've been with her. Um, Katie Lang, you know, these people up and coming, that, um, you know, I used to talk to Ross Perot on the phone and the, just, it's just amazing. I remember one time going down to DC with her and it was right before the Holocaust Museum was open and it was nighttime and we taped and walked through that, but they had all the films running and all the clips and all the sound clips and it, I'll never forget it. And so because of Barbara, I was able to, experience that my coworkers and I, and there was again, only eight of us. And we really got to see life um, from the inside out sometimes. And we met the curator and we met the architect and it just, it's extraordinary. The moments we've been able to have because of that situation. And I think for me, those things were more interesting than meeting my favorite celebrity or, you know, whatever, or having an autograph or something like that. It's having a behind-the-scenes view of something that normally is such chaos and such long waiting lines. And, you know, to go in at a quiet time and see it in a, in a state that no one else has seen it. Um, you know, grand ballrooms and different museums and different statues and different um, offices of historic homes that no one else has even allowed access to anymore. We've We've been to all of those places, and I love that because you see things undisturbed as they are meant to be, um, and when the masses are experiencing it all together, you lose something in that sometimes. So I just I take away those moments the most. Well, two things I'm thinking when you're sharing all this is, golly gee, I wish I had known you at this time and been your favorite photographer. Because oh, that yeah, been, that would have um, been great. And the I would have loved I'm, that because we didn't necessarily have one all the time. So we had an ABC photographer come with us on some shoots, but not, not all. And uh, that would have been lovely. Yeah. And then all those photos, I, I imagine you have all these stories in your mind. Have you thought of writing a book about all this? Well, you know, not about that. I, I, I signed some releases and uh, things that, prohibit me to write any kind of tell-all about any of the shows I've worked on and um, 
I'll probably just keep all of those stories private, semi-private, and the ones that would sell the books, I, I probably legally can't talk about. <laughs> so, right. So probably not, but I am going to write a book. I'm, I'm in the midst of writing it with a business colleague of mine. Um, the book is called Selling Hope. So hmm. the premise of Selling Hope is that whether you're a TV producer or now I'm a publicist and a media specialist and a marketer, all we're really doing is creating a program that offers the potential of your brand, your personality, your product to be seen by millions. So, you know, my team and I have created, I don't know how many best-selling books. And of course, then there's a lot of books we've worked on that have done reasonably well or done okay. And some have done yucky, Um, but there's always hope. And so I feel that with the right plan, and knowing what I know about the media and knowing the connections we have with the media, that if, if I can't write a plan that offers pretty good chances of beyond hope, <laughs> then, then um, I'm not sure what, what to say. But so the book called Selling Hope will be all about marketing, the history of marketing, what it is to market, the difference between marketing and PR and advertising. It's all different but a lot of people just blend it together. So I'm going to take a lot of the conference uh, keynotes that I've given, and I'm going to condense it into something that is just fun. It'll be a good read, a light read. It'll be comical because I can't really be all that serious for very long. And it'll be, uh, it'll be a good educational type read with that'll go by fast. <laughs> so it'll be a quickie. Well, that, that sounds fun. So do you think it may come out this year? I think within, by 2019, I think early 2019, um, we have some, you know, some interest from bigger publishers. Um, so we're weighing some of that because, because we are marketers, we know how to market a book. So I don't know, Chad Lefebvre and I have to talk about what, who we want to go with with a publisher. So luckily we have a few really wonderful options. So we're just kind of taking our time and figuring that out. And he's your partner writing the book? He's my partner writing the book. He, he and I will be speaking at CEO Space together in May. And um, we work independently on a lot of different things, but for this book, we're absolutely um, co-writing it together. Okay. So you have done a lot of campaigns for authors to create New York Times bestsellers, right? Yes. And if I recall, it's either a zillion or a zillion and one, somewhere in that range. I think it's a zillion and one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so how do you pick someone that you want to work with? And then what is the magic, as much of the magic as you can share, that causes a New York Times bestseller to happen? Oh, well, you know, algorithms and everything. I don't know if I could even answer that question properly as far as what makes something a bestseller, because you know, the publishers and the book buyers and the newspapers, you know, like to make a bestsellers list, at least back in the day, it was you have to buy a certain amount of books within a two-week span, and that's when it gets judged. And so there's there's a, a few different factors. And then you have companies that you can buy, the, they'll buy in bulk books for you, and then you make the status, you know, and then you have the Amazon bestseller list. So, um, and that's a different set of rules. So really, you have to find out 
what bestseller list is your goal? And to say you're a bestseller is, is a little ambiguous these days. Um, to me, I, and we can talk about w- why my books went bestseller, and, but some didn't, you know. And so the thing is, is that um, I don't really care if something's a bestseller. Like if I don't care if my book becomes a bestseller or not, let me just speak for myself. One, I don't need to say I'm a best-selling author. I mean, that's like saying I'm a life coach, right? Who isn't these days? Like everyone's right. a coach. So, you know, I, I think that if I want to put my mark in the world in order for people to buy my video podcast or my seminar series and my audio recordings or my book, I, I would rather focus on that than to work on doing a promotion so I'm a best-selling author. And it's a slow climb. A lot of people just think it's, um, it just happens overnight. And I'm not saying it doesn't, but it, it really is a slow burn. And I've had books on Oprah that didn't sell a lot of books. I mean, I've had authors go on Oprah and, you know, and even the publisher at that time said, wow, well, we can't even blame PR for this one. They got us Oprah. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's just one of those things where um, it's like it, it's a secret sauce combination of the sun and the moon. And, you know, for me right now in, in this day and age, right here in this moment, I would say that you need a really great book marketing plan, but you really need to have a great backing up digital marketing plan to coincide with it. I don't think you can do one without the other. So even if I got a client, the Today Show, Wall Street Journal, all these things, it's, it's a flash in the pan. So there's only a shelf life of a certain interview. But if I have a digital marketing company behind me, um, and I, don't, I know there's some companies that they say they do digital and marketing traditionally all together, and then they also do media pitching, and then they do media training, and then they do social media. Like, I think that's very convenient that everything can be done under one roof, but um, I'm not so sure that that is the way I'll be going for my book. I think that there are really great experts out there in that lane. You know, there's social media people in that lane that are fantastic. There's digital marketing people in their lane. That's great. They don't they don't have to make payroll for their whole, you know, 70 person team to cover it all. And so I, I think I'll custom design my team. And that's what I do at 11 communications. I, I custom design it. And so I think our success with our clients is because I don't have one media picture that is on my payroll because I don't think one media picture is going to be good in every vertical of pitching. So if, I have one guy that's great in tech. He's not, chances are, if you're really great in tech, you're not going to be knowing all the fashion designers and latest and greatest makeup trends for the beauty magazines. So if I had two different clients, one beauty, one tech, which I could, I would only have that one guy on payroll to pitch the media that I'm already doing the beauty product client a disservice. So I custom designed my teams for what I need. And after all these decades <laughs> I've been doing this, I have a, um, I'm doing air quotes, but that golden, you know, media picture, Rolodex, if you will. And it could be a, an account manager. You know, I just, after all these times, I know 
we know a lot of people, and a lot of people are kind of wanting to do their own thing at their own pace and take on a few clients, and, and then that's what they need so they can stay home with their kids. So um, I'm running into a lot of that, which suits me just fine because I can custom design campaigns for people who want them at that moment. Well, that makes sense. So we're going to go to a break. We're going to pack and talk about how you vet the people that you would or how you would work with someone like yourself to create that magic team, the, the, the A team, as it were, to get the success you want for your book and how you balance your life so you're successful. So we'll be right back. Thanks, Aaron. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at UmbrellaSyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. All right, we are back. And Aaron, what a fast-paced first segment. And the second segment, I want to go a little deeper into what causes success in books. But I want to thank you for using air quotes and verbally saying you were using air quotes during the last <laughs> segment because sometimes sometimes that gets lost. And if there was any other air quotes you forgot to put up and you need to, we can put that in the, in the post show. <laughs> no listener left behind is what my motto no, is. No listener left behind. God bless you for that, Aaron. That that really brought a tear to mind just I'm now. I'm a giver. I'm a giver. You are. And you got a liver. So, I mean, you got <laughs> a liver with a giver. A giver <laughs> with a liver. Hey, a lot of, uh, we got a lot of, uh, I guess, social media uh, questions specifically about, you brought up 11 communications. Why didn't you go with an even dozen and just call it 12 communications? I'm mostly called at the 11th hour. Okay. So I, like, it's kind of my tongue-in-cheek. Um, I, I was, I'm called at the 11th hour to help so many companies or friends with something they need, um, work-related, I mean. And so I, I did that for that reason. Now, this is where I might lose you, but I love tarot cards. Love them. I think they're beautiful. I'm not saying you have to believe in they work or whatever. I'm just talking about the pure art and the gypsy folklore of it all. Like, just stay with me there, people. Just, I'm, not, mm-hmm. I'm not a witch. I just love the artwork of 
certain genres of, um, like, some people love Japanese anime or, you know what I mean, like, that. I love that kind of old-time gypsy um, kind of drawings and things like that. So I once saw the one of these original deck of cards, like one of the first early decks, and I saw it, not in person, I saw it online. And the strength card just spoke to me, and it's this woman in a white dress, blonde hair, and she had this infinity sign over her head with like a wreath of um, ivy or something. So even that, I was like, oh my gosh, who would wear ivy? Or, you know, I feel like that's going to hurt, right? Mm-hmm. So, and she's hugging a lion, and the lion is at peace, and she is so in control. And I felt like I always want to be this woman. Not so much in control, but you're, she knows there's danger. She knows that things could go terribly wrong any minute. But she's, but she's in the moment with the lion, and she's not afraid. And mm. I, don't, I, I know that sounds kind of kooky, but being from New Jersey, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, but being from New Jersey, an Irish Catholic family outside of New York City, life moves very, very fast in my world, very fast. And I just think that in that moment, I think I was going through a divorce at the time, and I thought, I thought of this woman a lot. And then I found out that the original number on that card was the 11 card. And between that and getting calls at the last minute, I thought, this is, this is where I'm going to go. And then something very special happened to me. A guy that I went to high school with called me and he said, Aaron, I know we haven't talked in a million years, but I need your help. And I said, of course, what's going on? He's like, I'm in a very, very, very rural area and my neighbor's son has brain cancer and he needs an operation, but they need financing. But they go through the whole thing. Unfortunately, it's not a story we have never heard before. We all have had these fundraisers and you go to the ice cream shop and, you know, five cents for every cone. We've all been there. We've all donated, I'm sure. But this guy was like, we are hours away from any major hub. We're never going to be able to get any type of promotion, not even a newspaper. He's like, and it's, and he said it, he goes, it's the 11th hour and I need you. And I thought, oh my gosh. Like, and here I'm already, like, it, was it a sign? I don't want to get too kooky on everybody, but I thought, I really do get this call. And we worked quickly with it. We figured out things to do. And he was, the little boy was go, already going into an operation. And he just needed, there was, I didn't need to solve the whole problem. So I don't want to come across like I had this crazy magic wand. But I, I was able to fix for them something they had to do to help them raise just a little more money than they already had. And, I, and we, we were a success with it, and it worked. And after that, I thought, that's it. It's 11 communication. I'm in. And that's my story. Well, I mean, so it's a little long, but there you have it. Well, it's a great story. And uh, being a, a social media photographer and a media guy, I can relate to the fact that someone says, hey, we have a problem tomorrow. We have uh, an event, and uh, we still have a hundred seats we need to fill, and we have five people. Can you help us? So, I have 
I've been on the other the receiving end of that as well. But at least they come yeah. to you, Aaron, with tons and tons of money to solve the problem. That's the good news about people that come at the 11th hour. <laughs> Most of them don't, though. Most of the calls are the 11th hour. They have five seats, and they have $5. And they, but they want you to give them the $5 million campaign for the $5. And then you More. try your best, and yep. maybe you get... 10 extra people in there, but certainly within 24 hours, you weren't getting the thousand or, you know, you tried and then they, they're disappointed. So marketing and PR is a very, um, it's an evil mistress sometimes. Well, it, it's also a, a problem of people not knowing what they don't know and they attempt to do yeah. something that's not in their lane. And then they get this surprise of, gosh, I guess this is why I am not a marketer or a PR person. And it right. is it is quite an art and a craft, and there is a science to it, and there's an art to it as well, and there's relationship collateral that is unbelievably uh, valuable. So, uh, going into doing a book, most people think that the world's waiting for it, and that they're going to do this great book, and it's going to sell like crazy. And you and I both know that when the book is this amazing book, but they haven't done the marketing, the PR, or the plan, that it's just going to be another book that doesn't sell. So. How, how does right. one really have hope if they have no budget? How do how do they create this magic? And then how do they find money to actually afford the right type of plan? And am I correct, sorry for all these questions, but am I correct that you need four times more money for the marketing than you do for the book? Well, yes. Yeah, so let's break that down a little bit. So first of all, I I definitely think you need whether it's an event or this book marketing campaign, it takes a little more planning than a lemonade stand. And, you know, even lemonade stands, some are great and some kids set it up on a dead end street and then are like sad that only their neighbors bought it. Right. So it's a, it's a really good, (laughs) like symbolic comparison. Um, There are things you can do to create grassroots marketing uh, tactics. Um, I think that they need to always be done regardless of if you have huge budgets. So right now, while you're writing your book, people really need to be developing their list, getting known in certain networks of before you need something, don't don't join something because you need something. Now, I'm not saying, I'm saying join it because you'll need them in a year from now. But get in there so you truly are starting to build an organic base of people that can be ambassadors to your message. So that's, that's a golden nugget of mine that a lot of times if I get a call and somebody has a book that, you know, they have a public date that's coming out in two weeks and they just heard of us and so they're calling, a lot of that I'm working backwards. So if I have my way, I'm working six months prior to a pub date. So right off the bat, I hope everyone's kind of writing that down or circling that on their calendar because um, there's lead times, there's conferences to be booked, there's publishing you know, months ahead of time where they book, there's editorial calendars, there's theme weeks on TV shows. And, you know, a lot of times it just, I want everybody to work ahead of schedule and be told they're calling too early than to be told no because they called too late. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one thing. Then there's lots of things that you can do to promote your book that have nothing to do with the media. Not everybody needs the media to promote their book. Uh, we have a lot of ambassador campaigns where we're just working it with 
different linked up LinkedIn groups and meetup groups. And, uh, you know, we're working with not so much book tours because I don't know how I feel about them. Well, I do know how I feel about them lately. But, you know, if you're going to a city, then fine, go and network there for that because you're already there. I don't know if I would really start traveling to cities at all. I, I haven't recommended that in a few years to clients. Um, but if you're already there, then when in Rome, you might as well promote your book. So mm-hmm. book signings, like things like that, I don't know. You really, everyone really has to do their research to see what the, what the end result is. What I will tell you is no one's going to make money from selling their book. You're not, no, one, no one listening, no one is going to make a lot of money at all from writing a book. So to me, the book is a business card. It's a way for somebody to learn more about you because they want to hire you for a keynote or they want you to be a guest on their show. And it's a way for your brand to talk about itself without you having to talk. It's a marketing piece, plain and simple. So there's arguments to say, well, people should just write books and pass them out, you know, and and that that can be argued. A lot of times other people are like, well, I want to sell it and things like that. And that's fine, too. But the, the ones that are mistaken are the ones that take second mortgages or dip into college funds or, um, you know, or 401ks, I should say, and they use that to market a book. And I think that's not wise because there's no guarantee in anything when it comes to big-time marketing. And you want to get it out there, but I don't think it should affect your family in an adverse way should it fail. And, you know, that's why sometimes I don't take on clients because if I, if I sign you as a client, it means I think it'll work, but I can't promise that it will. But if I don't sign you, it means that I probably, something's missing for me to cash that check. I like to sleep well at night. I really do. So I'm to the point, luckily, in my career, I'm not having to take on a million different campaigns just to make payroll and to support my family or to pay for my house or whatever. I'm I'm luckily to a point where I can pick and choose what I want to do when executing a whole campaign. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll consult which is the most fun for me. So I'll consult, I'll give my ideas, heck, I'll even write the plan. And this isn't just for books, it's for anything. I'll write the marketing plan, incorporate PR and, you know, advertising and anything. And I can have other people consult on it too and create a plan and just give it to that person and then they can execute. Um, So sometimes that's a cost saver as well. But Everything is individualized, and it, I, you asked me how I vet. I really just, I look at their platform, I see their social media handles, I see what they're saying, I'm, I'm listening carefully as to who they're saying they are and what I am seeing them to truly be. I'm looking to see if there's a disconnect between their reality and my reality for them. <laughs> and I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm right, but, you know, this is somebody that, when somebody's struggling and they're giving you their, your last dime, um, I think that that's too much pressure 
and I just automatically decline it at that point because I don't want to be associated with that turning point, possibly negative, in, in one's life. And I, I'm all for, call me selfish, but I'm all for being a part of somebody's positive turning point. But at that point, I'm risk-averse with somebody else's money, if that, could, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. a, and then people will a, say, well, if you believe in it, but there's no money, why don't you just do it? Well, I mean, <laughs> so I, still have, I still have my family in my life. I mean, I, a lot of times people will say, well, I'll give you a piece of the business or I'll, you know, I'll give you a, a dollar for every book that's sold. Meanwhile, they're really, if they read their contract, they're probably only getting like 50 cents or a quarter for every book they sell. And I want people to Google how many books are on average sold every year? It's not a big number. It's Probably really not. So, um, and yep. that's from even like a major distributor and, and publishing house. So if you're, you're thinking of writing a book, I hope it's for reasons other than I'm going to make a lot of money and sell a lot of books. How many books are at, on average sold? Do you recall? I, honestly, I think I just found out like maybe 2,000. A year. I know other people that have done ten thousand. Okay, but you're talking about for the author who's publishing. I I agree, but you're talking about an average. That's certainly not self-publishers. Um, no, that self-publishers will probably be lower. Yeah, I've heard self-publishing as low as eleven and as high as forty-one. I haven't really heard. I'm talking averages though. 11 what? 11 to 41 copies sold. Oh, 11, just not 1,000, just 11. Yes, 11 to 41. Yeah, yeah uh, it's, no. not, it's not a positive. <laughs> so in other words, why dip into your 401k to sell 11 books? Right. Right? So I don't know. And I'm not saying, and so I'm not saying, by the way, I, I, I feel like this interview <clears throat> now is like a little downtrodden. I just want to protect people because I think there's ways that you can do things yourself. I think there's ways. I want everybody to write a book. I just don't want them to think that they're going, like I represent Jack Canfield. So, okay. And Lisa Nichols, I made a bestseller with, and with a team, I'm not doing this all by myself, but sometimes people say, Oh, Aaron, chicken soup for the soul, Jack Canfield. Like that was like a really long time to get to those numbers. Like, you know, that, there was like a lot of um, oh, like obstacles to overcome. I mean, we chipped away at that thing for a really long time. So, um, what's a really Jack long will time? tell you. I'm what's sorry? Really long, well, it's a really long time, Aaron. I want people to hear that. Oh, uh, 10 years? Yeah. I knew it was at least seven. So, yeah, and, like I'll say 10. I mean, I've known Jack since for like 15 years now, and I'm not on a campaign every time with him, but like for um, success principles, we got there in a few years. So that was a little easier than chicken, you know, and, and they've sold chicken, so that's not even Jack's brand anymore. So whatever they're doing, I have no idea, right? But. Well, actually, they just went public. I, I saw them ringing the bell the other day. So yeah. that, that's a prime example. That, they're, they're ringing the bell now. It's not even Jack's brand. 
or Mark's brand, and now that company had to take it in another direction, and now they rang the stock market bell. But I don't know what that means. Like, I, don't, I haven't paid attention too much, so I shouldn't continue to talk about that. But, I, you know, so it shows that over time, things can happen, but a lot of people don't have the patience to, to see that. You know, in the rearview mirror of marketing... Sure, that was a success. But when you're living in it, oh my gosh, it's such a struggle sometimes. So, and I don't know any author that doesn't think it's a struggle. So, I don't agree. get me wrong. I want everyone to write a book. I just don't want them to misuse their savings or jeopardize their life to promote something that I promise you, no one is going to think your book is as good as you think your book is. I promise you. <laughs> so, like, and that goes for my book, too. I'm going to think it's awesome. You're going to be like, eh, it's okay. I mean, it's good. It's a good bathroom read. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, like, no one, honestly, it's like no one's going to think your child is as good looking as you think your child is. It's just a fact. So, that's what that, that's all I have to say about that right now. Well, that's, you said a lot in saying that. So, let's talk about your child. Mm-hmm. You have a 13-year-old okay. boy. He's gorgeous. <laughs> I was going to ask you, is he smart? He is smart. He's, uh, he's actually, you know what, he's, he's smart, but he's really street smart. He's an old soul, and um, he's thoughtful like that, and he'll come up with, he's a thinker, this one of mine. His name's Eric, and um, he's a thinker. So he comes up with some things like when he was little, this will give you an idea of who this is as a child. When we were driving in the, in the car and driving on route 80 headed towards the city, he's looking around and I think he was like six. And he said, you know what, mommy? I said, what are, he's like, one day these cars are going to be those cars that meet in the parking lot of Wendy's because they're going to be like antiques and they're going to have their hoods up for people to look under their hoods and like they're going to have old time music playing. That's pretty cool. Isn't that crazy? That is. What are you most proud of with Eric? Oh, his spirit. I I just, I think he is, um, you know, we've been through a divorce and he's an only child and we moved and, you know, he has to work really hard at school and like, it's not, it's not always been an easy road for him with certain things, but I don't want to play it up. Like it's been a big struggle. I mean, we're not going to be on any kind of, you know, after school special or anything, but you know, he's, um, he's a typical just newly turned teenager. So if there's a girl that's going to play a prank or if there is a boy who is going to say he's better than him at hockey or whatever, this, they'll take him on and he'll say, all right, that, if that's what you think. And, you know, I wonder, does that really kill him inside or is he really okay with it? Because on the surface, he looks okay. And I think, oh, my gosh, when I was his age, when this stuff happened to me, because let's face it, we all have this happen to us, I would, I would be crying in my room. Um, but what I like about Eric is not, he doesn't too many, I'm not saying always, but when the tables are turned, he then doesn't retaliate. Not always. Sometimes he has, don't get me wrong, but 
he, <laughs> he still stays that upper road for the most part. And um, I'm not sure he needs to see those karmic moments to make him feel better. I think he's fine and in peace in the moment and then moves on, which me, I'm still waiting for karma to happen to people that from my 15 year old, you know, from my, when I was 15 year old. So I, uh, I think he's just more at peace with life than the average 13 year old. Interesting. Well, let me ask you a couple Mm. closing questions that are just really rapid fire. Um, Go for it. Tell me what uh, book is a book that changed your life. The Great Gatsby. Okay. And what book (laughs) would you recommend for a person considering authoring a book? Considering authoring a book. Yep. Like, uh, what, what can we learn? What book would you read about marketing to really go into taking on and doing a book? Hmm. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to recommend any per se one thing. I think I want you to read 10 books on marketing and pull two great ideas out of each of them. Cool. And, and then there's always selling hope coming out. That'll help a little bit. Right. <laughs> True. All right, so we have about 10 seconds. Uh, what's a quote you live by? You can do, you can have it all, just not all at the same time. All right. Erin, how can people follow you? Oh, well, please. You can fo- follow me on Instagram at, Sa- at Saxton Erin. On Facebook, Erin Saxton. I'm right there in a pink sweater. And that you took that photo of me. And I know. Uh, I'm not on Twitter as much as I should, but I'm there. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. And I really hope everyone just reaches out and says hello. I'd love to hear from them. Okay. Well, we will have this show uh, also released on Apple, iTunes, possibly tomorrow. And we'll put links to the social media channels. And I look forward to seeing you at CEO Space next time. I say, that with air, I say that with air quotes because this is an evergreen program. And uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Aaron, for sharing your heart and your mind with all these wonderful people because we are about making all these people inspired enough to become better leaders and write their book regardless of what they have to say about, you know, digging into savings. They still have a great message, a great story to share. Absolutely. My one takeaway, write the book. I promise you it will be a success. You just might not have to spend a million dollars to do it. (laughs) All right, Aaron. Well, God bless you and you've been amplified. Have a great week. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashad again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go get your message heard.